All right, Ephesians chapter 5 tonight, we'll pick up where we left off last time. After we are called to be children of light in a world of darkness, in verse 15, we saw that we are to walk circumspectly or that we are to walk accurately as what we testify ought to match our walk. And so our walk needs to match our talk. We're not to be as fools. We're not to be unwise, but we're to walk as wise people. In doing so, in verse 16, we saw that we are to redeem the time. We need to make the best use of our time. As we heard tonight from the missionary, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And uh, we need to make the best use of our life while we have life. Because the days are evil. That's what the verse says. And then verse 17, we aren't to be unwise. We're not to be foolish. But we are to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now let's pick up tonight by reading verses 18 through 21. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Who would have thought we would have landed on verse 20? Great verse to land on right before Thanksgiving. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's that time of year when we place special emphasis on giving thanks. The lost world will give thanks for any number of things, but will they give thanks unto God in the name of Christ? Let's begin, first of all, though, verses 18 and 19. We see, first of all, in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, we could stop and do an entire series right there. When we take this verse along with verse 17, we make the connection that it's unwise, that it's foolish to be drunk. To live in Ephesus in those days and really throughout most of the Roman Empire was to be surrounded by drunkenness and consequently immorality. And a lot of that was centered around the worship of their false gods. The pagan worship along with that was the, the drunkenness and the immorality. And you got to understand, when the Apostle Paul wrote this, a world Christian view had not entered the first century church. All right? There wasn't this idea that as Christians it's okay if we find an excuse to mix the two. That's what we try to do today. But, but when this was written, it was absolutely clear what was being said. There was none of this Paul having to try to help them understand why it's not okay. It, it was understood that it was not the right thing to do. And so he's calling on these Christians in Ephesians or in Ephesus to be completely different from the world around them, from the day and age in which they live. Um, it was a day of, of drunkenness, and Paul's telling them, you're to be a people who don't get drunk. And that would have been a very marked 
difference. It's no different for us today, amen? We're just more refined in our drunkenness. We don't have a bunch of temples dedicated to pagans. We don't worship the goddess of Diana. But there are still plenty of drinking establishments in Rapid City. I was going to attempt to count and I lost track and said, forget it. But almost the same amount of pages on a Google search than there are churches. So there's plenty of drinking establishments here in this city. And let me just chase this rabbit trail down because I took the time to research this. Alcohol abuse is a major problem in South Dakota. And it probably is everywhere, but I wanted to focus on our city. Here's some, st- <laughs> here's some stats <laughs> that I read from a study released by the Department of Social Services. It's an older study that concluded in 2011. So whatever the latest numbers are, I don't know. I didn't have time to look for a newer study. During a 10-year period from 2002 to 2011, South Dakota led the nation in alcohol-related arrest. Five of those years they led the nation. Five of those years they were second in the nation. During 2008 and 2009, the percentage of South Dakotans who were alcohol-dependent was 7.7% for ages 25, excuse me, 26 and older. 23.5% between ages 18 and 25. And how sad that there's even a stat for this age bracket. But 6.8% were alcohol dependent ages 12 through 17. During the same period, 61% age 26 and up admitted to monthly alcohol consumption. 70.7% for those 18 to 25 and 15.6% of those ages 12 through 17. From 2007 through 2011, 69% of South Dakota high school students ages 13 through 18 had consumed alcohol. 20% had their first drink before age 13. 38% had consumed alcohol monthly. 22% had at least five alcoholic drinks in a row. That's what they define as binge drinking. 10% drove a car after drinking, and 23% had rode in uh, in a car driven by someone who consumed alcohol. Also during 2008 and 2009, 28.3% of those 26 and older were binge drinkers, 52.3% for ages 18 to 25, and 9.5% of children ages 12 through 17 were binge drinking, and that was down from 11.6% two years earlier. There's a lot of other statistics, but I think you get the point, and frankly, it's quite depressing to read them all. But it leads to all kind of issues, health issues, suicide increases, domestic abuse, unwed pregnancies, vehicle deaths, and on and on. And Brother Petraco, I'm sure you have plenty of military accounts where almost the majority, I would probably say, of the problems are related to alcohol. 
alcohol consumption is a major problem. Not just in South Dakota, but in America. And if you look at those numbers as they break them down into the Native American community, it's really heartbreaking. We live just north of, I think it's the poorest county in the nation. And alcohol consumption and drug use runs rampant down there on Pine Ridge Reservation. Thank God for our van ministry. It's, it'll break your heart to know what some of these kids endure. I was listening to a man preach, and he's, uh, his church started a group just for children of alcoholics. It's a major problem, and I wish I could say that this verse wasn't necessary for Liberty Baptist Tabernacle, but unfortunately, I can't say that. There are some within this body that are battling drunkenness. There are some who are tempted to begin a life in alcohol, and sadly, they have access in their homes. Some may even be hiding it, and nobody around you really knows. Some Christians try to justify their drinking of alcohol by saying if they're not getting drunk, then it's okay. And without getting that deep into it tonight, let me just say this, that if that's your position, you're trying to see just how close you can get, you're wrong. Alcohol affects a person's judgment. And for most, impairment will begin with just one drink. And obviously, it'll get worse with every drink that's consumed. This is why people can wake up next to someone they don't even know after getting drunk. Or even worse, this is why somebody can pass out and be abused by somebody and never even offer consent. It's a serious issue. Amen. If you don't believe me, just see the account of Lot when they came out of Sodom. His two daughters got him liquored up two nights in a row and both became impregnated by their father and gave birth to Moab and Ammon who became thorns in the side of Israel. Proverbs 20 and verse 1 says, Mine is, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Proverbs 23, 20 and verse 21 say, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. And Proverbs chapter 23, verses 29 through 25, describe for us the life of a drunk. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. Verse 
They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. And that's the life of a drunkard. The partiers are described in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, that continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp, and the vial, and the tabret, and the pipe, and wine are in their feast. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore my people are gone into captivity, because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. God's children are not to be drunkards. I am very serious about this issue because I know what it can do to a family. And I've seen that it can rip marriages apart. It can rip parents from children. And I remember working with a man who drove home one night down Main Street after working a 12-hour mid-shift during an exercise on base and a man decided to drive down Main Street the wrong way and hit somebody head on, and it killed him. It's a very serious issue, and, and we've got to take it serious. And if God's children are not meant to be drunks, He intends for you to have victory over it. Amen. I know they call it a disease today to lessen the guilt and the responsibility but if, you're have, but if you have a uh, propensity for alcohol, it's not a disease. It's because you were born a sinner, not because you were born an alcoholic. And please understand what I'm about to say because I say this, believe it or not, I say it with compassion. But nobody, at least when you're an adult, or a teenager, nobody forced that bottle to your mouth. If we take the true meaning of the term Christian, which means Christ-likeness, then it is utterly impossible to be a Christian drunk. Andy Griffith made it look kind of okay with Otis. It's possible to be a believer and be a drunk, but not to be a drunk and be Christ-like. And God's very serious about those who will attempt to mix the two. This is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5.11. But now have I written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother, if he that is called a brother be a fornicator, covetous, an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner with such and one, no, not to eat. Let me explain that. We're not against those who come in here drunk. We've had lost people come in here drunk. They stumble in. We try to help them the best that we can. That's, that verse is not telling us not to minister to people who battle alcohol. Amen. It's not saying that. It's, it's not even saying that you're not to have an acquaintance with those who are, are, are struggling with drunkenness and need the gospel. It's not telling us to avoid that. What that is saying is, if you call yourself a brother, if you call yourself a believer, 
and you're a drunkard, that's when the Bible says, we're not even to eat with you. And, and what the Bible is saying, pick one or the other. If you're going to be a drunk, be a drunk. If you're going to be a Christian, be a Christian. But you can't have both. Does this make sense what I'm trying to say here? And so we're not against people that struggle with alcohol. I'm not against those who are believers and they have a lapse of judgment and they find themselves drunk yet again. And as long as there's repentance and a genuine desire to get that right. I'm not perfect. I don't know about you. But I struggle with sin. And, and what God wants us to do is to have compassion upon those, but not have those come in here repeatedly without repentance, without wanting to get victory, coming in here drunk, calling themselves a believer. The Bible says not to eat with them like everything's okay. I know some who are battling this and they're trying to get victory. I've never told you not to be here. I'm glad you're here. I think you're in the place you need to be. And know that we love you. We all have issues. But what that verse is teaching us, those who habitually get drunk and refuse to deal with that sinfulness and call themselves a Christian, God has a problem with that. So I think we understand we're not to be drunkards. But this verse goes on to say, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, the first phrase is very plain, but this second phrase has been completely misused and really misunderstood. And I think we need to take just a minute to talk about what this doesn't mean. Being filled with the Spirit is not all of this charismatic confusion and chaos that we see in some of the churches today. It's not about speaking in an unknown tongue. It's not about receiving some new revelation or prophecy. It's not about some altered state of consciousness. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you can perform healing miracles by taking off your coat and throwing it at somebody. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you can put your hand on someone's forehead and they fall over healed. Think about that just for a minute. They fall over healed. It's insanity. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean we'll all start barking like dogs. Or that we will all laugh uncontrollably. We're about to have a laughing revival up in here. It's not about fainting. Those are all revivals that have been claimed within the charismatic churches. They've claimed to have barking revivals, laughing revivals, fainting revivals. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you'll be able to handle rattlesnakes and not be bit. The big verse used by those who pervert what it means to be Spirit-filled is Mark 16, 17, and 18, which says this, And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, shall they speak with new tongues, shall they take up serpents. And if they drink any, any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
But I find it very interesting that those who handle snakes as a proof of their spirituality never drink of any deadly thing. I mean, if you're going to be charismatic, go all in. Amen. Well, what is being filled with the Spirit then? Well, verses 19 through 21 give the answer. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Instead of complicating what it means to be spirit-filled with man's erroneous doctrinal positions, it'd be far better if we would just see what the Bible says right after it tells us to be spirit-filled. Because it's the same sentence. Amen. Very simply stated here, it's making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God in the name of Christ, and submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God. So what's so complicated about that? In short, it would be walking in the Spirit, being controlled by the Spirit. It's being led by the Spirit of God as you read and you heed His Word. It's filling your heart with praise to God. If your heart's filled with singing and making melody to the Lord, then there's no room for anything else. If your heart is filled with thanks and singing and making melody to the Lord, you don't have time to be a complainer. How do you get filled? you got to get empty. You can't be filled with the Spirit if there's self in the way. You have to be empty of self, then you can be completely filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit of God? Well, are you speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs? Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? Are you giving thanks always for all things unto God in the name of Christ? Say, well, that's a hard one. Yep. Are you submitting yourself in the fear of God? Do you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 25 say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. In other words, you can't have enough of those things. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we just look at the fruit of the Spirit, you can find out pretty quick whether or not you're filled with the Spirit. If you're a grumpy Gus, you're not filled with the Spirit. So are you filled with the Spirit? What what verse 18 would tell us is this. If you want to know if you're filled by the Spirit, you look at what happens to somebody who's drunk. What happens to a drunk person? What happens to somebody who consumes way too much alcohol? Every part of them is being affected. Their decisions, their mouth, their eyes, their actions. Every part of you is being affected. This is why if you get pulled over drinking 
you now get a DUI, driving under the influence. I hate that some have changed it to DW, whatever it is, driving while intoxicated. No, go back to what it was. You're driving under an influence of a spirit. That's why some of the alcohol places call it spirits. Isn't that right? You can go to an alcoholic store and it'll say spirits. Because you're under control by a different spirit. And just as being drunk controls all of you, so being filled with the Spirit of God will control all of you. It will control your decisions. It will control your actions. It will control your life. And you will no longer operate independent of God. Being filled with the Spirit is not something others control for you. As I kind of hinted earlier, I can't come over there and lay a hand upon you and transfer some kind of spirit to you. That's what some charismatic churches are doing today. We had a pastor in Korea who was a former Pentecostal, and he said they had to teach me how to speak in tongues. That doesn't sound like a gift to me. <clears throat> it's your decision to be filled with the Spirit. And it really depends on how badly you want it. And you can make up all the excuses you want, but it doesn't transfer your personal responsibility or your desire to be filled by the Spirit. It's your desire. It's your choice. You have to choose to be in the Word of God. Isn't that right? You have to choose to take time to pray. You have to choose to be faithful in church. You have to choose to give. You have to choose to witness. You have to choose to give thanks in all things. You have to choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. When's the last time you just talked to God by doing nothing more than giving Him thanks? When's the last time you just filled your heart with a song, a psalm or a hymn and just gave praise to God? Some today wonder, why, why doesn't the Christian life ever seem to work for me? Why don't I have peace? What, what am I doing wrong? You're not giving thanks. And for some of you, I've heard your testimonies. I hear what you say day in and day out. I should say week in and week out. And there's no thanks. And you wonder why things aren't going quite right. Somebody help me. Give thanks in all things. You have to trust that God is working with a purpose. That He's working with a plan. And I'm telling you, I know it's hard. There's some things I wish I could share with you and I just can't. Because it would break some family confidentiality. But I'll tell you what, this family up here is under attack. I don't know about y'all. And there's times during, during those hard times you just have to trust that God is working something. I don't understand it. Some today just simply have not learned to walk in the Spirit. Instead of giving thanks, they constantly complain. You ever met that Christian? They're ticked off that they're a Christian. 
well, you're a real pleasure to be around. (laughs) Instead of submitting themselves one to another in the fear of God, they'll nitpick every little thing. And they'll find some reason to be mad at you. Amen. Are you filled with the Spirit? But if I'm filled with the Spirit, people are going to think I'm wacky. That's right. Let me read to you the Bible proof. 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us, uh, excuse me, to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excess of wine, uh, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries. (laughs) Listen to this phrase now. Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. That's right. You're going to be looked upon as a weirdo. I was weird before Christ. Amen. They'll think you're strange. They may even speak evil of you, but that's okay. Because we're called to be light and salt in a world of darkness and sin. And to do that, we must be spirit-filled. Let's pray.